0: and decided we're going to throw a great party to celebrate the lost son coming back. So the celebration gets us to verse 25, which is what we're going to look at this morning. And so when you look at this story, there's really three main characters, right? We see the prodigal son, the lost son. We see the father. And today we're going to look at the son who stayed at the house. Now, the second part of this story we discovered that there was simply not just one prodigal son or one lost son, there's actually two. And I believe the real force of Jesus' story is that he confronts us with the prodigal who stayed home. You see, the story shifts the focus from the younger brother to the elder brother. And I believe you will see that we do not have to wander far from home to be far from the Father. So we're going to pick up the story on verse 25. And if you have your Bibles, please follow along, or you can follow here on the screen. So we're going to start with verse 25 and go through verse 31. It says here, Now his older son was in the field, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. What picture does this story paint for us of the relationship between the father and the elder son. Now, pay particular attention to the relationship from the side of the elder son here. It's interesting. How close would you say that he was to the father? I don't think he was close at all. There are actually several indications within the text, I believe, that supports that. Notice he never called his father father, Or even dad. There just seems to be a disconnect between the relationship between the dad and the son. And the only term the son can muster to describe the relationship is, I have served you, which translated basically says, you know, I've been your slave. That's a disconnect, isn't it? Now, the other indicator is he doesn't even go into the house to to find out what is going on from the father. And you would think if he had a healthy relationship, he would do that. He's suspicious from the beginning. And so he has someone outside. He summons the household staff outside the barn. Now listen, right? He could have gotten all this information from his father. Yet, he connects with the hired staff. There's a disconnect there. Here's a couple questions I want you to ponder. And this morning, I want to spend some time examining ourselves as we go through this story. And trust me, I spent a lot of time the last week and a half examining myself. So here's a, que- a couple questions to ponder How do we know? How do we know if a person has settled for residing in the Father's house while staying far away from the Father? Allow me to ask it maybe in a different way. How do we know when or if we are edging away from our relationship with God the Father? How do we know that? And then if we are, how can we check ourselves to make sure that we're not becoming like the elder son? See, in this story, Jesus gives us three signs of a life outside of a relationship with the Father. And I'm gonna look at all three of these signs. Number one, we may be like the elder son if we lift up our own righteousness. See, the contemporary English version translation, I believe, presents the clearest picture of the elder son, where in verse 29, he says, for years I have worked for you like a slave and have always obeyed you. Interesting. Slave always obeyed you? Now, folks, as the eldest son, it was his responsibility to co-host any celebration within the household. But rather than joining the celebration and performing his duties as co-host, what did he do? He pouts. He whines. Right? Listen, by simply staying out back, he dishonored his father. Not only did he dishonor his father, he dishonored his father in front of his guests. Well, that little infraction never dawned on him. You know why? The elder brother's making it about himself. He's making it about himself. He sees his professed integrity as a step up on the competition. So he takes and lifts up his own self-righteousness righteousness high above his head. He's basically saying, hey, look at me. I'm the good son. I have always obeyed. But the truth is, he's never really obeyed his father, at least not from a a, a loving heart, which is what really matters the most. Now, I I mean, right? I I think he understands conformity, right? I think he knows about following orders, but he knows nothing about obedience coming from a loving and tender heart. You know why? The elder son was self-righteous. Anybody else who knew in the Bible who were kind of self-righteous? Yeah, the Pharisees, right? Uh, uh, the religious rulers during Jesus' time. And Jesus had some pretty harsh words to say about the Pharisees, didn't he? You see, self-righteousness is as bad as unrighteousness because it creates a spirit of criticism. Are we like the elder son? Are we? Do we lift up our own righteousness? Do we forget about or downplay our own sins? If so, do not delay, confess that sin before the Lord. Because we do not want that to get a hold of an area or areas of your life. We need to examine ourselves. Number two, we may be like the elder son if we blow up the sins of others. Hmm. Look at me again in verse 30. It says, but when the son of yours came... Did you notice a phrase he used? When this son of yours? He didn't say this, you know, brother of mine or even his name, right? See, son of yours is a phrase that somebody outside the family would use, right? Like someone saying, how is your son? And this is what the elder brother is doing. He is speaking as if the younger brother is not part of the family. Again, look again at verse 30. It says, but when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. I find this so interesting. Where in the first part of this parable does it mention prostitutes? Maybe you have a translation that says that I'd love to see it, but it doesn't. And the first part of the parable says he squandered his property in reckless living. Okay, there could be some moral implications. I'll I'll grant you that, all right? But I think the term Jesus is using is more ambiguous. It may suggest, okay, it may suggest that the younger brother blew his money on sinful exploits. Okay, but listen, it could equally mean they lost his money on foolish investments, or foolish purchases. So, where did this come from? The elder brother made it up. The elder brother just made it up. Maybe he just wanted to paint as bad a picture as he possibly could. So, he takes what little he knows about this story and blows it up way beyond recognition. Do we do this? Do we? Do we blow up sins of others? Sometimes we do. Maybe over a cup of coffee. Maybe over a meal. Maybe out in the church parking lot. You know what I mean? All right? And, 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 you know, it's funny how we do this. You know, it maybe introduces, hey, you know what? I have something I need to talk to you about. I have something I need to share. Hey, let me tell you about so-and-so so so we can pray. See how that works, right? Sometimes we mask it with a veneer of piety, don't we? We may sound kind of religious and on the surface try to sound fairly positive or even laugh frequently. But the truth is, folks, the truth is there can be kind of a negative, judgmental um, spirit that just bubbles up. Sometimes, sometimes we gossip. Sometimes we gossip. Sometimes we find fault with those around us. And for some of us, we may not even realize that we're doing it. Sometimes we lift up our own self righteousness and we blow up the sins of others. Are we like the elder son? There's one more sign of life outside of a relationship with the Father. And that is, we may be like the elder son if we hold up the Father's offer of grace. And I think this is where the rubber meets the road for those living outside of a relationship with the Father. This is where the two previous signs, I believe, collide. Now notice the result of when we lift up our own righteousness and blow up the sins of others, right? For the elder son, the result is an attempt to hold up the father's offer of grace. You see, all of the self-righteousness and the critical spirit erupts in a cry of, it's not fair. It's just not fair. This son of yours, he comes back. He gets the fattened calf. he He gets big wages for doing nothing. I get no wages for doing all the work. It's just unfair, it's unfair, it's unfair. This is the heart of the elder son. Now, for those of you who have two or more kids or two or more grandchildren, we hear the cries of unfairness all the time, right? Well, you know, Johnny got more ice cream than I did. Susie got a later bedtime, milder punishment, right? It's unfair, it's unfair, it's unfair. I I get it, right? This is actually called the elder brother syndrome. All right, it really is. You see, the elder brother secretly thinks that the prodigal son has had more fun. And he secretly believes, or at least suspects, that life is better in a distant land. He really believes that. Have you ever been around someone who truly believes that if anybody is happier or more successful or has a better or richer relational life or a more flourishing job than you, then life is just unfair. Yeah, we all know those people. What a miserable, miserable way to live. It really is. Let me tell you something. Folks, There's a party going on here, and it's called the kingdom of God. And let me tell you what, and it's at work. It really is. It is made up of all those who have learned and are learning to rejoice with those who rejoice, who learn to celebrate the good fortune of others, to live with the joyful heart of the Father, welcoming all who come. It's called grace. It's called grace, and it's no accident that we're called Grace Church of Waldorf. Right? No accident. No accident. By the way, did you notice how the father addressed him as son? Despite all the insults his son leveled against him. And even though the son did not address him as father, he still gives his son the title, my son. That's grace. That's grace. Verse 31 says, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. My friends, the Father says to the Son what God says to you and I right now. What I have been offering you all these years is me. Is me. What I've been offering you is me. And if living at home with me is not enough, then all the parties, all the properties, All the goats in the world will not be enough. You see, I believe God longs for a church where prodigal sons, prodigal daughters can just come on in, that they could come home, they could come back, and the people inside the church will love on them and embrace them. I believe that. The father says, this brother of yours. Do you know what he's really saying? You're still family. You're still family. So what happens to the elder son? Did he come in to the celebration? We really don't know. Jesus kind of stops right at the climax of the story and he walks away and never finishes the story. Why doesn't Jesus finish the story? I can tell you it's not because he couldn't find or think of an ending. It's because the ending has yet to be written. It's because all those listening to Jesus would have to decide. We have to decide. We all have to decide. Because you know what, folks? The story will end one of two ways. That's it. One of two ways. Right? One is that the elder brother turns away from the father. He returns to the field, works in coldness and bitterness of heart, and never enters the house again. Yeah, he did his work, maybe followed the rules, but he never went back back into the house. Maybe he hated his brother. Maybe he secretly even hated his father. But when he died, he died all alone. It could end that way. It could. Or it could end like this. It could end like that the elder brother after seeing the heart of his father falls to his knees and his heart heart is broken and made tender and he he came and he entered into the house and there he saw his skinny, wasted figure of his tear-stained brother and and his heart explodes with, with love and he throws his arms around his brother and he just would not let go. And then, and then he, he, he laughs louder, sings longer, dances harder, cries harder than anyone else at the celebration. It could end like that. How does the story end? It's up to you. It's up to you. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, listen, not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. Our mission at this church is to point people home to Christ. That's our mission. Yes, yes. I would love for all of you to call Grace Church Waldorf your home. But ultimately, what we want is I want you to know where you're going to spend eternity. And we want you to spend eternity with Christ. That's what we are about. That's who we are. Where are you going to spend eternity? Where are you going to spend eternity? For the first 37 years of my life, I had no idea. I searched. I hoped. But I didn't know. Actually, it wasn't until I came to this church many, many years ago. And one of the associate pastors shared a verse with me. just didn't change my life. It changed my life for all of eternity. The verse is 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is what did it for me. So that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. I never knew you could know. I never knew. It changed my life forever. Of course, we're all familiar with this incredible verse, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a great verse. What does it really mean? What does it mean? Well, let me just say this. Matter of fact, let me ask you one more question. If you were to die today and God would say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? How would you respond? Well, I'm going to share five steps, five points on how you can know for sure that heaven is your home. I want to conclude my message with these five points. It's going to be quick. But I want you to please listen. Number one, did you know that heaven is a free gift? Did you know that? And because it's free, it's not deserved. The scriptures say, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's not deserved. And you know what? It's not earned either. We read this scripture earlier. For by grace. I love that word. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. Here it is. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works. You can't work your way to heaven. So that no one should boast. Heaven. It's a free gift. Number two, don't you have to be quick. Every single person sitting in this worship center is a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is sin? Sin is anything that displeases God. And you really start to think about what sin is. You come to realize, oh my, I'm a sinner. But it's one sin that kicked Adam and Eve out of paradise, correct? Think about how often we sin. And you know what? We live in the world that tells you to do the things of the world. But Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way which seems right to a man, the world, but it ends, it's the way of death. It's a spiritual death. We're all sinners. But we have a wonderful, holy, and merciful God. Do we not? And God is holy. Holy. But because he's holy, he's perfect, and he's perfect in his love, which means he's perfect in his justice as well. He has to punish us, right? He says, he will by no means clear the guilty. Look, for those of us who are parents, we punish our children. Why? Because we love them. God has to punish us. But he's also a God of love, right? He's merciful and he doesn't want to punish us. So it sounds like we have a problem here, right? God doesn't want to punish us, but he has to punish us. But well, he's God. And he resolved this through his son, Jesus Christ. Who was he? He's God. He's God's son. He's God. Disciple Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And what did he do? He, he took our sins on the cross. He paid for our sins. He paid our debt. All of our sins. The sins you committed yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he paid the sins, all of our sins. Then he rose on the third day. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus die for everyone? He did. Does he offer this as a gift to everyone? Yes. Will everyone receive that gift? Yes. No. Everyone will not receive that gift. And this is where, this, this, this is the issue. Like any gift, you have to receive it. I could buy a beautiful gift from my wife, and, but if she doesn't receive it, it's not hers. We have to receive it. Right? So how do we receive God's gift? And this is so, so important. You know, Acts 16, 31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All right, and, and John 1, 12, we know these verses. He gave the right to become children of God. But What does that really, really mean? All right, what does it really mean? Right. We must acknowledge that we're sinners because if we don't acknowledge that we're a sinner, that there's no need of a savior. Right, we must acknowledge and repent. That means turning away from sin. Right? I'm a sinner. I ask for forgiveness and I repent. All right? and now I'm going to give you the key to the vault. Here, all right, this is the key to the vault. It's Paul, and he said it so well. He says, "If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, you will be saved." Or it's with your heart that you believe and you're justified. Did you get that? We've got to confess that he's Lord, but we've got to believe in our hearts. All right? What does it mean? It means trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. How do we do this? I mean, how do we really, really do this? Do we have to do this at church? Yeah. Call prayer. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. It's, it can be something as simple as this. You can, you can pray right now in your seats if you don't know. Maybe today is the day you want to put the stake in the ground and say, You know what? I wasn't completely sure, but I want to be sure. You can pray a simple prayer like this It says, Lord, I've sinned against you and I deserve punishment, but I know your son Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve. So through my faith in him, I know that I am forgiven. So I place I placed my trust in you for salvation. Those are my words. Just God knows your heart. But you need to put the stake in the ground. You need to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. I'm going to ask our team to come forward. We're going to play a song. We'll close our service in a song. If you're not sure... Matter of fact, I'm going to have the elders and the prayer team that come up right now. Folks, if you're not sure, or if you've just prayed the prayer, feel free to come up during the song. I'm not the bold step. And if you're not comfortable, that's fine. But maybe during this song, it's a time for you to say, you know what? I'm going to pray this song. I'm going to pray this prayer. Today is the day of salvation. Please, if you're not sure, if you're not sure, do not leave this church without asking me prayer team, band member, you can know for sure.